I'd like you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. We'll begin reading this morning in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 28, and we will read through uh, into chapter um, 8 uh, pretty lengthily to verse 17. Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning verse 28, and remember I said last week that the chapter divisions didn't really line up well with the um, declarations of God here through Jeremiah the prophet, and so we're going to read uh, cross chapter divisions. I'm reading out the New King James Version, as is my custom, God's word declares, so you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Cut off your hair and cast it away and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Enom burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, and nor did it come into my heart. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, or the valley of slaughter, or I'm sorry, but the valley of slaughter, for they will burn in Tophet until there is no room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I will cause to cease from the streets of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. At that time, says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of its princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven which they have loved and which they have served and after which they have walked, which they have sought and which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. Then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family, who remain in all the places where I have driven them, says the Lord of hosts. Moreover, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back? Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding. They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into the battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove, the swift, and the swallow observe the time of their coming, but my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look, the false pen of the scribes certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord, so what wisdom do they have? Therefore I will give their wives to others and their fields to those who will inherit them because from the least even to the greatest everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet even to the priest everyone deals falsely for they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying peace, peace when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed nor did they know how to blush. 
Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their punishment they shall be cast down, says the Lord. I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves, and let us enter the fortified cities, and let's be silent there. For the Lord our God has put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink, because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health, and there was trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones. For they have come and devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell in it. For behold... I will send serpents among you, vipers which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. I was informed this morning that we have now on our podcast close to five, six hundred, five hundred some sermons of mine. That's a frightening thought. So for about 400 to 450 hours, you can spend on that alone. So, and we're still loading. Um, there is a soberness to that. Um, because too much is given, much is required. And that is going to come into play in our series here in Jeremiah, where these people who have been given so much access to God and not just ignored it, but violated it time and again, demands something. It demands a reaction. It demands God to take action. For they were given so much opportunity. Where God says over and over again, I raised up my prophets early and sent them often, and instead of responding, you grew harder. And it is easy to when we have that kind of access to grow hardened to it, and the old adage that familiarity breeds, um, whatever breeds, what is that? Just look. Contempt, thank you. That when we become familiar with something to such a degree, we just stop listening, or we even hate to hear it again. And in fact, we're going to see verbatim statements made by Jeremiah over and over and over again, and um, they be betray something about him, and that is that uh, his message didn't have to change, and it was extended over many, many years, and over and over again, they heard the exact same words. Because they didn't respond, it required it to be repeated again and again. And so we're going to see in much of, uh, or in some of the latter passages of today's message, uh, and we're really just going to reference them because we have studied them out, and uh, but they are going to keep surfacing. And you're going to say, didn't I just read this? Didn't we do this a couple weeks ago? Yes. And uh, we can easily become contempt, have contempt toward God over that, or we can rejoice in his patience and his faithfulness to persist in giving us his truth. But as he persists and as he is faithful, there's also recognition that there is an expectation of either obedience or judgment. And this we will see extensively in our passage this morning. Before we get into it, let's go, Lord, in prayer together this morning. Our gracious God, we thank you and we 
rejoice in your word. And we are humbled by it, and we are reminded this morning to be careful. And Lord, help us to be careful with your word, not only in its uh, explanation and understanding, but Lord, help us to be careful with your word in our treatment of its truth, that we might receive it with a spirit willing to hear your message, to receive it with its, the authority that it carries and allow it to impact our lives in the radical way that you demand. Again, we thank you, and we pray your Spirit's work in our hearts as in what we have heard as well as what is being said. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we begin in chapter 7 with um, kind of a, a encapsulating idea or the message that Jeremiah has for Israel, having given uh, a overlook, at least, at the heinousness of their sin, uh, how far it had extended, and right into the very family life of the people that they had not just uh, been looking at the dictates of their evil hearts once or twice, but this was a pattern that had become generational, that it had enveloped the entire family, that uh, the children, husbands, and, and particularly the wives were engaged in. And so uh, we come to the ver- first word of verse 28, So you shall say to them, on the basis of that information, of that observation, of that uh, fact that they have resisted his his calling of them to to obedience to repentance, uh, his prophets have come early and often. Um, that the message has been consistent, and they have persisted in not just doing the bad things, but making it even worse and getting into deeper evil rather than uh, uh, trying to crawl out of the horrible holes of wickedness that they had uh, dug for themselves. And so, out of that observation, we find verse 28 uh, that Jeremiah now has to say to his people, this is a nation that does not obey the Lord, the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished, has been cut off from their mouth. And so we find that um, one of the primary hazards of getting into this kind of moral decay has to do with our handling of the truth. And we've seen this already, um, and we're going to see it again reiterated in the prose passage that's to come here in chapter 8, where he talks about the lack of wisdom, that there is no wisdom because there is no interest in the truth. Um, in verse 9 of chapter 8, it says, The wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? So once we reject the truth, the word of the Lord, once we turn our back on that, once we begin to see truth not as something that is has divine origin and is uh, authoritative and does not change, is immutable, um, once we have uh, stripped truth of all of that, there goes wisdom. Wisdom is gone. Once we extract from our idea of truth in our mind the word of the Lord, 
and we start to define truth by our own measure, that I decide what is true or what is not true. And we hear it all the time, well, I, that's probably true for you. Right? Well, that's just truth for you to live by, not for me to live by. I don't want to live, that's not the truth I live by. Well, if it's not in God's word and you're claiming it's a truth to live by, then you lack wisdom because there is no truth there. You are living in the corruption of a lie. You do not want to obey the voice of the Lord. And the main reason we don't want to obey the voice of the Lord is because it requires us to do what? It says to receive correction. We don't like to receive correction. None of us do. I'm no different. None of us like someone to say, you're wrong, you're doing wrong, change it now, or you're going to hurt yourself, you're going to break that thing, or you're going to lose your job, or whatever. We just don't like correction. None of us do. Because it injures our pride. And whether we want to admit it or not, pride is something we all cherish, that we all uh, hold on to, that we, that we uh, have welling up inside of us on a regular basis. So when the Bible calls us over and over again, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself, it is uh, our work to do, and it's a constant work. It is perpetual in this flesh that we have to fight that idea that I can't be corrected And it grows worse as we grow in maturity and as we grow in authority, whether it be within our homes, whether it be within our workplaces, as you grow and and, uh, develop. Um, Boy, it's hard to have people who are much younger than you. It's hard to have people that are uh, below you on the job ladder. It's hard to have those that you have authority over correcting you. And so we fight this demon of pride on a regular basis all our lives in this flesh. And it is a very simple thing for us to go from not receiving correction from men to being unwilling to receive it from God. And this was the condition of an entire nation in Jeremiah's day. that They just didn't want to acknowledge God's truth. They did not want to receive the correction because truth demands adherence. Once we say this is truth, now I can employ that to really challenge your living. Why aren't you living according to that truth? That's the origin, that's the foundation of correction is truth. Once we say, this is the word of the Lord, now we go, okay, well now I have to do something with that. And others can hold me to doing that. And they can come and and discipline me according to that truth. And this is what God has been trying to communicate through his prophets to the people is that you have dismembered truth. You have destroyed it. You 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 have caused it to cease in your land um, the word here in the verses is perished. It has died and has been cut off from your mouths. You won't even allow yourself to say it. 
You won't declare it even. You won't, and, and I send someone to declare it and you tell them to be quiet. I don't want to hear you. You cut them off and you distance yourself from them. Uh, you isolate yourself from them so you don't want to hear that truth. And again and again, one of the concerns whenever I find someone no longer associating with their church. And we can go, we can look at it, and invariably they'll always say, well, I wasn't being fed there. I hear that a lot. I wasn't being fed there. Um, and so instead of not going somewhere where you weren't being fed, you're going nowhere. And you're getting more feed by going nowhere. How does that work? You stop going there because you weren't getting fed, and so then you went nowhere. Okay? And so, and I'm trying to understand that. So you were served bread and water in one place, and so then you decide you didn't want the bread and water, you were going to get nothing. And that was an improvement for you. But the fact is that no matter how small the truth you might be getting fed or how mammoth (laughs) buckets you're getting on a regular basis, um, if you're not willing to receive that truth, um, you're going to resist it. If you're not going to obey it, if you're not going to allow it to correct us, I have to be corrected by God's word. I have to receive that. I have a spirit that's willing to um, let it penetrate my heart and so that I recognize I have an evil heart, and so God's truth is not evil, and we can look at those two things, and invariably what men do is they make God's truth evil and men's hearts good. And fundamentally, that's what it means to call good evil and evil good. To say, the word of the Lord is bad, wrong, oppressive, intolerant. These are the not politically correct these are the terminologies we deal with on a regular basis right here. It is, it is a rejection of truth. We don't want it in our mouth. And how is it verbalized in a nation? Uh, how does it perish from the land? And it perishes from their writing. It perishes from their public display. It perishes from their uh, speech. I think it was kind of funny and uh, when we have... Uh, pseudo or so-called conservatives trying to use the Bible in their speeches and how often they maul it. I remember uh, them quoting scripture and misquoting it badly. Um, and of course, our modern candidates aren't any better. Uh, what is it, last week or week four, uh, Mr. Trump tried to use a passage of scripture and didn't know how to say Second Corinthians. He said, two Corinthians, and everyone laughed because they recognized immediately he doesn't handle God's word very often. If he doesn't know it's second Corinthians, not two Corinthians. That's about the extent of our, we are giving lip service to the truth. That's it. It is essentially perished from our national and from our, our social settings. To the point that we are so ignorant that we don't know the books of the Bible and how we say them. It has been cut off from their mouth. Truth. Well, what is our response when we see things like that? When we see this circumstance of a people 
And, and I'm not going to apply this verse to the United States. I, I really don't want to do that. I really would rather apply this, not because we're not replacing Israel. This is to Israel nation. Uh, I really want to apply this to the church. We are the people of God, not that we've replaced Israel, but we've been grafted into her. And so we are, we are the people of God today, the followers of Jesus Christ. And so to you, the holy nation, um, how can you do unholy things and think that you will be blessed of God or avoid his judgment? When we are unwilling to receive the correction of his word, because truth has perished from our presence. We don't want it around us. We don't want to get into our Bibles. We don't need to hear those Bible preachers. It has perished from the land, from our mouths. So what is the response? Well, verse 29 gives us a very powerful and very vivid response. That we're going to skip because we don't like it. So let's go on to verse 30. It's just kind of out there, and it's a little bit ridiculous, and it's just too emotional, and it is a little radical. And we're civilized, advanced people that just don't act like this anymore. Mourning the loss of truth in God's church. Comes when we understand the ramifications of it. We can look at the circumstances and say this is really bad and we are dismayed by it and we're going to seek to preserve it in at least this place or as long as I have opportunity or can speak, as long as there's a Jeremiah around. But Jeremiah himself was one who grasped and began to, under, began to understand what it meant. And so when God calls you to lament, cut off your hair, cast it away, take up a lamentation on the desolate heights, go out into the wilderness and cry out to the Lord um, and show every evidence of true mourning, of recognizing just how horrific this condition is. For the frightening case is is that once truth perishes, we are rejected by God. And all that's left is his wrath. And this is not something to be excited about. This is not something to be disconnected from, to say, oh, let him pour his wrath out on them. They deserve it. But rather it is one to 
sober us and to bring us into a state of mourning. What he has described here is that condition of one who is, who is almost in despair, who recognizes that, that there is so little that can be done that all there is is a waiting for an expectation of what the full brunt of the wrath of God is for those who reject him. And when we begin to understand the extent of that and the harshness of that and the, and the full force of it, um, how can we claim to have any tenderness of heart, any thoughtful spirit about us to not go into a state of mourning and I'm not talking about depression. I'm not talking about walking around sad and I purposely pick songs about being happy this morning. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a genuine brokenness. What he's describing here is a brokenness that is the exact opposite of that prideful creature that says, I'll define truth, and over here is a brokenness. Don't you understand that to be in that place is to reject, be rejected of God, to be the instrument and the object of his wrath, both simultaneously. Oh, to be forsaken by God. And once forsaken, you're without hope. And there is a broken response to that. What is described here is not get depressed and get down and go around moping. It's about be broken. Let it impact you to the point that you say, this can not be allowed without some attempt to correct it. Do you see the impact on this on a prophet like Jeremiah? He's calling to his people, oh, the, and, and ultimately God is telling him to call. You guys all need to be broken, and I need to have this as my focal point of my message is that you be broken-spirited over this and not haughty as you are. We're going to get into some of the sin here very soon, but, but all of it is driven by this idea that I define truth and I do not listen to the word of the Lord. I don't want that around me. I don't want to have to be corrected by that. I don't want to conform myself to that. I want to be able to find my own way. Back in my teenage years, and by the way, none of this is new. This is a pretty old book. <laughs> okay? This is a pretty old book. Back in my day, you know where they all did that? They all did that up in the Rocky Mountains because John Denver sang about it. We all knew we could find ourselves up there. That's why... No, it's not why Mrs. Leachman's up there climbing all those mountains. I was going to pick on her, but she's up there trying to find herself. We were told to get a Rocky Mountain high, and then you can find that truth up there with just you and Mother Nature. And it was nothing more than, than going after the Queen of Heaven. No different. Because we want to find truth everywhere but where it is. And this is the foundation of all of this sin. And we're going to see some gross, heinous sin right in the next verse. I go, how do you get to that point? Not hard. Just start saying, I don't want to be corrected by God's word. I don't need to obey it. In fact, I'll decide what's true and not true. 
the other comment that I hear, and it's really directed more to pastors, to me as a pastor, is, well, that's your interpretation. You guys probably hear more of that's truth for you or that's your truth, live, live your truth, I'll live my truth. But um, when it comes to me, it's usually, well, that's just your interpretation, pastor. And I tell people, well, I just read the verse. I didn't really tell you much more than just reading the verse and what it says. Um, but what they're saying is, I'll go find someone else that'll tell me what I want to believe in. There is no age of man anywhere ever comparable to the last 10 years, 20 maybe, of the capacity of people to find whatever they want, written or spoken, readily accessible, they could put in the palm of their hand to give them an excuse to reject truth. If you don't like what you hear today, before you even leave this place, you can do your little Google search on your little device, find somebody that will disagree with me, and say, ha-ha, aha. See, it's just your interpretation. This guy says different. Unlike any other time of man, we have access to lies. And we can deny the truth. That's why I love getting people up to the Bahamas to engage them because they don't have their little doohickey. They can't Google something. They have to use their own brain. And they have to be confronted with truth. That's why we send our kids to camp. It's that important. And for many of them, it's the only time in their life, one week, that they are disconnected from this sea of falsehood that they are enveloped in. The truth. Are we humble enough to receive it? And are we understanding the horror of having it perish and cut off from our mouth? The horror of being forsaken, rejected by God, the horror of being a generation of his wrath. And so we should take up lamentation up in the heights to cry out because it is going to be vicious. But it is not unwarranted. We do not have a claim against God because he's too mean. It is warranted. Let's see why it's warranted. The next verse there. 2030. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. They have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, when it will no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven, for the beasts of the earth. And and no one's going to be there to frighten away. Everything's going to be desolate in that whole region. He says all the cities are going to, the the Jerusalem, Judah, um, even the bones are going to be laying out there of of all these important people. And uh, they're going to be exposed to all the elements, unburied. Now, a lot of that you probably don't get because you don't know. We're, we're too ignorant of the geography of the Bible lands. 
Um, and I have to admit that I was too. And if I didn't have several weeks to prepare, I probably wouldn't be able to just offhand tell you where this place is because its name was changed. And I would, uh, if you gave me the New Testament name for this valley, I would immediately recognize and tell you exactly where it is. But we don't always know what the Old Testament names for those places are because God says it moved from being the Valley of Hinnom to the Valley of Slaughter. You might say there's a Valley of Slaughter? Um, well, yes, um, but it had this name, and the name was, are you ready? Gehenna. Now, do you recognize that? You know that that's a valley outside Jerusalem where the fire burns and the garbage gets put in Jesus' day. Where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. It's a garbage pit. And where did it begin being a garbage pit? It wasn't that way in Jeremiah's day. In fact, in Jeremiah's day, it was a very different kind of place. It was almost garden-like. And down in that valley um, that stretches along the western side of Jerusalem and down the southern region um, is uh, uh, one of the things that protected Jerusalem from its south and west, that valley. Um, down in there, it's a pretty wide valley. It's not a steep cut ravine uh, like you have on the east side of the Temple Mount between Jerusalem and, and Gethsemane, but rather it's, it's a wider one. Um, uh, uh, and, and people gathered down there and they would go down in that valley, which is in sight of the Temple Mount. So if you step back from Jerusalem and took a picture from the south, um, you would see this valley and you'd see the Temple Mount. And God says, you desolated my temple, and then you went down into the valley, and you made a high place in the valley. Isn't that kind of interesting? Um, so there's a high place in verse 31 that of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And so down in the valley, you built a high place, and there in that place, you sacrificed your children. So you're sacrificing lambs and goats up there on Saturday and you come down here and you are killing your children off and sacrificing them to the false gods on the high hill that you made there in the Valley of Hanom. And so I'm going to wreak my havoc there. There in that valley is where there will be slaughter and there will be no burials there will be um, nothing green and good because you despoiled it. You ruined that valley. You took something that was a, a guardian for Jerusalem. You took something that was really a, a very pretty place and you, dis, you made it a place of sin and of wickedness and of death and of blood and of heartbreaking and... So I'm going to destroy its beauty because you've destroyed it already with your sin. And this is the wickedness, this is the evil that God is talking about, is that you have sacrificed your children to the false gods of this world. Um, You've gone into the pleasant valley. And some consider that that's maybe one of the valleys that David is talking about, um, but uh, not likely. Um, But... uh, we find him this valley, and you've desolated it, 
spiritually. So now I'm going to desolate it physically. So that by the time we get to Jesus' day, it is known almost entirely as Gehenna. Hades. The place of burning. Of filth. God says, that's what this valley is going to be known for. And even to this day, as soon as I said Gehenna, you go, oh, I know what that is, but you never know what the valley of Hinnom is. To this day, it is known as the place of slaughter. They bury until there's no place to bury. And by the way, if you go there today, it looks like a park again. Solomon put a ramp across that valley to get access to Jerusalem, and and it's still there to this day, and there's a road on it now, a highway, um, and so it stopped up the water, and it became kind of the, the place where there was buying and selling the cattle market was there for many, many years, and now uh, they have excavated, they found some of these burial places, um, they've made somewhat of a park out of it, and down there, believe it or not, to this day, you go down there and there's a high place. You know what it is? It's a high place. It's an amphitheater. And this is where they go for concerts and for uh, plays and things like that down in there. And they're down there, and and in fact, if you go online today and you look for that, one of the pictures will be the amphitheater with a great big screen on it and everybody watching something on there. They built a little high place in the valley today. Interesting. God says you're sacrificing your children there to the fire. That I, you have essentially committed them to things I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. So what is it the evil dictates of their heart was to draw their children? And we could talk about the the actual sacrifice, the killing of children, um, but I'm going to bring it into a spiritual realm of that whole idea of you have given your children over to that which God did not command and it was not in God's heart. This is when your pride rises to the level that you define truth. You start to communicate it to your children and you are giving them over. Yes, you got raised in Sunday school. You learned all of this. Um, Your parents may have led you into that truth, um, but you've rejected it. You've stopped it up. You have erased it from um, your conversation and from your home, perhaps, from our society, from church even. And we have inserted our own truth and we lead our children into it and what it does is it leads them away from the Lord and, and they come into this condition that we, they don't know what God has commanded and they do not have any inkling of what is in the heart of God. It is lost on them because you've sacrificed their minds and their hearts to the false gods of this age because you've communicated to them that these other things are truth. These are things you can hold. These are things that you can cling to. We've convinced them that the gods of this age, of, of wealth and power, of, of even uh, uh, entertainment, of, of, of education sometimes, that these are the gods, these are the powerful things, and we have not communicated to them, we have not trained them, we have not instructed them, we have not shown them that the powerful things of this world are Things you do on your knees. Things you do in the study. Things you do with your 
Bible on your lap. Things that you do before the Lord. They have no interest in what God commands. Most of them are ignorant of it. Hence, this year we're having our kids memorize the Ten Commandments. Have some clue. God has a standard. He has truth. We, we teach also its purposes, and, and we're not calling people to it, but rather to consider what it is to be used for. But they do not know what God's commanded, and they don't know what's in his heart. God says they are chasing after things that aren't in the heart of God. And all that we would look at the pursuits of our life. Look at your pursuits. Are they in line with the heart of God? Oh, what's the heart of God? If that's your question, then we need to cut our hair, rip our clothes, go to the high place and weep if you don't know what the heart of God wants. The heart of God was to send Jesus Christ to sacrifice himself for our sin, to redeem us. That was in the heart of God. It was in the heart of God to call out people to his name among the peoples, to draw all people to himself. That was in the heart of God. It was in the heart of God to create a world where everything was good, That was in the heart of God, that he might place man, his image bearer, in that place that he might enjoy. That was in the heart of God. It was in the heart of God to offer up his servants for the well-being of men who were doing evil and hated him, to offer them up as a completion of the sacrifice of Christ to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That was in the heart of God. What are our pursuits? Do we even recognize or know what is in the heart of our God? I have focused on really doing his commands with limited, if any, effect. And I really have never come to this point of saying, uh, well, I have on occasions, but I haven't communicated in these terms of now there's obeying his commands and now there's chasing after his heart. Are we pursuing the heart of God? Is that the pursuit of our life? I mean, we're pursuing stuff, things. Um, uh, I'm amazed at having young people come up to me and saying they're pursuing retirement. I'm like, you're like 20 years old. Why are you pursuing? Why is that the pursuit of your life? I want to retire when I'm 40. That's your pursuit? What is our pursuit? It is seldom the heart of God. Is the priority in our pursuit? What is God's interests here? And it is not that we surrender our children 
to the false gods of this age that we give over their minds and hearts, that is not a pursuit that is in the heart of God. It is not what he has commanded. It is not what he wants. He wants our homes to be places where righteousness is communicated and our children are guarded from that. Not exposed to it and not given over to it. And so the valley, the pleasant valley, wide valley in terms of the three that encompass Jerusalem, came the place of wickedness which forced God's hand to make it the place of slaughter. Wrath is real. It is coming. You might say, well, I'm going to miss it because of the rapture or something like that. And I say, well, how selfish are you? Is that the heart of God? <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm taken care of. Well, good for you. Maybe not so good because all you're thinking about is your interests. How bad does it get for Jerusalem? Um, the, Jeremiah is informed by God and informs the people that by the end of this whole episode in the Hinnom Valley, that the people that are left alive, the people that do survive it, will wish they had died. Yeah, it says so. Verse 3. The death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue, that's the remnant, of those who remain of this evil family, who remain in all the places where I have driven them. They're gonna, the ones that survive this slaughter, this valley um, desolation, are going to wish they were dead. They would choose death. Uh, by the time they're off in Babylon, they're going to say, oh, if only I had died with my family back there. And who are they? Well, we find out one of the groups that, doesn't, that survives is actually some of the wives who are baking cakes to the Queen of Heaven are going to actually survive and be given to somebody else's wife because their husbands will be slaughtered. He says, I'm going to take your wives away and they're going to be somebody else's wife. A Babylonian's wife. Not another Jewish person's wife. He says, this is what it's going to be. And people will say, oh, I'd rather have died than with my family back there than to remain where the Lord has driven him. And why? Why all of this? And here is the contrast very boldly put forward. We're going to end in verse 6. I'm not going to get farther. A lot of the section is a repetition, but I want to really come down to why does it, why does this condition hold? Why is it so persistent? Why aren't people broken over evil? In verse 6, it says, I listened and heard. This is God speaking but they do not speak aright. And again, they're not speaking truth. No truth coming out of their mouth. And look at the last second half of the verse. Because there's no truth coming out of their mouth, it goes along with verse 28, that they have cut off from their mouth truth. So in verse 6, they do not speak aright. No man 
repented of his wickedness. So what did they say instead? What have I done? There's a couple of ways for us to read this in English. One is to say, what have I done? As a vision of repentance, and some take it that way. Um, I take it rather that since nothing is coming, that, that there is no, here's what they are saying. Instead of repenting, what are they saying? What have I done? What did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. What have I done? They have been so desensitized to their evil that in their minds, in their sight, in their view, they've done nothing wrong. What I do? As a claim to their own righteousness. And so he says, everyone turned to his own course. Every animal knows the times, but people don't know the judgment of the Lord. And oh, that we would be careful not to come forward with that claim of innocence. I had a group of children and young young ones over down at our farm, most of you know this, that came onto our property, and uh, of course we don't live down there, and chased around the animals and roped the calf and cinched its neck and almost killed it so they could ride on it. When we called the sheriff to come out and the sheriff's department sent a deputy, his statement is, well, if I go and talk to them, they'll just deny it. The neighbor's video camera picked up the whole episode for 25 minutes. They're on there doing all this to the animals. We have it on video. Well, they'll just deny it. And then it'll be your word against their word. They'll just deny it. Instead of repenting, we have a spirit of this age that is, what have I done? I didn't do anything wrong. We just deny it. Because we redefine truth, we think we now can deny ever doing wickedly, and so there's never any repentance. And so we go our own way. And that way we'll always be evil. Not interested in the heart of God. Not interested in obeying His commands. Not interested in hearing the truth not interested in even being received by God, let alone being corrected by him. Not willing to say, I'm guilty. This is the condition of a land ripe for God's wrath. And tell me that isn't the condition largely, not just of our society, of our nation, of, our, of a generation, but even of our churches. We want truth. Let's make sure we derive it from the right place, not our own interests, but the heart of God. And let's be prepared to repent of our ways and walk in it. And recognize that there is a mourning, a lamentation that needs to be upon us when we encounter 
otherwise. My children have, well, one or two children have <laughs> ridden with me, and, and I listened to a radio station with a bunch of preachers on it, and um, they go, why do you listen to them? And uh, they recognize error, and I appreciate that, you know, my kids can recognize poor preaching and a manipulation of Scripture and, and uh, principles that aren't consistent with the heart of God. Um, but there needs to be a recognition that um, we need to know this is out there, that we might lament it. Not just get angry that it's being that, but that we are mourning that this is what people are flocking to hear, that these churches are filled, that they are hearing lies from priests, prophets, and kings who are designated for the wrath of God because they are not communicating the truth of God. So yeah, I listen to them as much, and, and I, so that I'm prepared to guard people from it. And also to help me mourn and lament that this is what we call Christian teaching in this land today, in his church, on Christian stations. So we recommit ourselves to the truth and we recognize we are in an age that is ripe for his wrath. Pursue the heart of God in these days of all days. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your truth. What an act of love and grace and mercy to us to give us this kind of access to it. Lord, some of our own number have rejected it, disobeyed you and not followed after your heart, but their own evil hearts. And perhaps some of us even here find our pursuits regularly taking us not toward you, but away from you. Lord, break us. Help us to know your truth, to receive its correction, to have it on our mouths and our lives, and to seek after it, to hunger and thirst after it. And Lord, help us to repent, to turn to it, and to be willing to acknowledge when we have failed to be even interested in what is in your heart for our lives. And Lord, we do also today recommit ourselves to guarding as much as we are able in our homes and our church the young lives and hearts and minds that you have blessed us with from being turned over to the gods of this age. I would seek to entertain them into an oblivion of your wrath. Lord, help us to be wise in that effect, not in our own wisdom, but in that which is derived from the word of the Lord. So Lord, we pray you might work in us mightily. 
For we know that in the midst of the dark, joy comes in the morning. We look forward to your coming. We pray we might serve you faithfully to that day. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.